Well, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts this morning. You know, they say that there are two sure things in life, death and what? And taxes, right? And so uh, I, I was thinking for the Christian, there's, there's at least one sure thing, and it may surprise you, and that is discouragement. A lot of times Christians don't, you know, we've been raised in a mindset that if we uh, admit we're discouraged, that somehow that's been perceived as a lack of faith or we don't believe in God. But it really goes against the grain of what the Bible teaches about some of the most prominent people in the Word of God. As I was just going through my mind and thinking about different people in Scripture, uh, I really couldn't think of anybody that really didn't in some form or another didn't face some discouragement, didn't face some uh, anxious, some anxiety, some testing that was a trial to them. They all experienced it. In the Old Testament, uh, I think of Elijah. Remember Elijah? And there's that in First Kings was about 17, 18, somewhere in there. And he had had that great encounter with those false prophets of Baal. And Israel had fallen into apostasy. And remember, he said, if your God is God, which he wasn't, there wasn't any, they were worshiping a false God, let him answer by fire. And if Yahweh is God, he will answer by fire. And there was that tremendous, dramatic outpouring of God's presence on that mountain. And, and uh, the next chapter, the Bible. remember there was this King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And Jezebel put it, made sure all the post offices had the wanted poster with Elijah's picture on it. And she put out a death warrant because she just undercut all her. She was kind of over the whole false religious system of, the, of Israel at that time. And Elijah just basically fell apart and wished that he was dead, wished God would just take his life. Can you believe that? Well, some of us can. Some of us have hit that wall of despair. And so in Acts chapter 18, looking at the Apostle Paul, Paul, as we remember from, um, from our study, Paul is kind of in the middle of the second uh, tour. And I don't mean a tour like sightseeing. He, he is a, he's sharing the gospel and he's traveling to different countries and primarily nations that were composed of non-Jews, Gentile nations. There were Jews there because one of the first things he does is he goes to the synagogue and starts talking to fellow Jews. But his main mission is to those who are not Jewish or don't have a Jewish background. We refer to them as Gentiles. And so Paul is, uh, you know, I think just a few chapters back in chapter 17 when he is in Athens and he's at the Areopagus, which is kind of a, he's debating those philosophers and, and he's trying to convey to them about God as creator. And when he begins to talk about Jesus resurrecting from the dead, uh, they all kind of went crazy because they just thought that's the craziest thing we've ever heard. And really, if you think about it, a man raising from the dead, that isn't something everybody just hears about every day. It is a little different, right? And they just couldn't conceive of that, but he directed them, whether he was talking to Jews, he started with the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, when he talked to non-Jews, Gentiles, he reasoned with them from nature, but he always made a track back to Jesus. And the Bible says at the end of Acts chapter 17 that it says that, that some believed. And as we go into chapter 18 and he's ministering, he goes to Corinth after that, and he ministers there in the synagogue and stirs up a, a hornet's nest there and opposition. Paul always either had one of three reactions. There was either opposition, there was some interest, 
uh, or there was just indifference. But there was always at least one of those. And usually the opposition could get pretty intense. So when he went to Corinth in chapter 18, he, he did what he normally does. He starts with meeting in the synagogue because he has some commonality there as a former Pharisee and as a, a Jewish scholar. And they, they didn't want to hear it. And so when he left there, he found this guy named Crispus. It's all right there in the beginning of chapter 18, who lived next door to the synagogue. Sometimes you don't have to go far to find somebody who's receptive to Jesus. Have you ever realized that? You know, we want to travel overseas, go to the DR, go to Japan, go to China, whatever. And we don't ever talk to our neighbors or the person across the street and invite them to church. Hello? That's free. I won't charge you for that. This morning, and so he find, and then his whole household. This guy named Crispus, uh, he's a non-Jew. He's just living next door. He comes to faith in Christ, and his whole family receives Christ. And then the head of the synagogue hears about this guy Crispus is it's living next door, and he becomes a believer. But here's what I want you to see: there's not like this mass conversion that Paul is experiencing. It's a few here, a few there, a little here, a little there. And, you know, as we know a little bit about the life of Paul, he writes two different times, one in Galatians and I think the other in 1 Thessalonians, maybe 2 Thessalonians. He writes two different times to those people, and I think he's writing because he, he knows he's experienced this a little bit when he says, do not be weary in, finish it, well-doing. You ever get wearied in well-doing? You just think, all I'm trying to do is the right thing. All I tried to do was tell this person the truth. All I'm trying to do is be kind and gracious, and I'm just getting attacked, and I'm getting persecuted, and it just seems like all of this stuff is happening, and there's times where you just get tired of it. You just get wearied of it. You know, you're not ready to backslide. You're not ready to reject Christ, but you just get tired, and you may not admit it to anybody but sometimes you just, you just lay there and you think, I am just tired of doing this. I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to live my life and don't care, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you're a Christian, that's hard to do because Holy Spirit's always working in us, isn't he? You ever tried to just shift in neutral for God for a while? And the Holy Spirit just won't, he just won't keep you there. He'll make you miserable, do you? Just, you know, come on, let's keep going. Let's pick it up and keep going. And so here we find Paul, and there's just a little, I'd hope to cover a little bit more, but there's just a little, sometimes a verse or two will just jump out. And I thought this morning we would look at verses 8 and 9. But before we do that, Paul, talking about how Paul, I think, uh, experienced uh, some discouragement in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. That should be up on the screen. Paul said this, and this gives you a little insight that Paul really knew something about this. And he, he has a lot more to say about this. But notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That last verse, I like how one, para, one translator, uh, the Phillips, which is not really used a lot anymore, But uh, verse 9, according to the Phillips paraphrase, says, We may be knocked down, but never knocked out. Amen? By God's grace, we may get, but we, and one version says, we have never gotten the knockout punch. You ever look at one of those, you know, those boxers? Mike Tyson has a really good philosophy that he shared. You know Mike Tyson. 
great intellect, mind, you know, I mean, laughs all the way to the bank, right? Uh, he, has, he, he said there's, there's a simple philosophy and he, he, or mindset. He says everybody that comes into the ring to fight him, they always come in with a plan. But that plan is suddenly changed by when they get hit in the face. And that's the way sometimes life is, isn't it? You have a plan of what we're going to do here, how we're going to do this, how we're going to handle this. And then what does life do? Hit you in the face. But Paul said... We may get punched in the face. This is the Tim Campbell paraphrase. We may get punched in the face, but we're never knocked out because God never forsakes us. Amen? And that's what Paul could testify to. And this morning, I want us just to look at these couple of verses. He's in Corinth, and he's seen some, some progress there. There's some conversions. But notice with me, look at, uh, it'll be on the screen, chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, this morning. The Bible says that, it, and I'm just going to kind of stop at this first part of verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. And again, just stop there, and, and sometimes we read things too fast. He's, that This is just coming off of this household of Crispus, these Gentiles. This whole family comes to faith in Christ. That's an exciting thing. But again, Paul is kind of in the midst of this journey. He's having some conflict. He know, he's had conflict when he went in the synagogue. And so he's laying down at night. And then it says that one night God spoke to him in a vision. When do oftentimes when you're worried, you're pressured, you're anxious about something, when does that all kind of come to a head? You know, you're able to keep yourself distracted during the day, Right? You binge watch Bar Rescue, that'll keep your mind, you know, messed up for a while, you know, and you just kind of, you just keep yourself distracted, right? But there's something when you go to bed at night, it's hard to keep your mind distracted. And you wake up the next morning, and usually I'll say, how did you sleep last night? And you, it's like, well, I felt like I only slept an hour, so I always slept more than that. But if something was in your mind, what do you do at night? You toss and you turn, you think, you analyze, and if you keep your phone by your bed, which I admit I have a bad habit to do, sometimes you're, you know, you're like, well, I need to check that statement. I need to, you know, your mind, I'm like, what am I doing? It's 2 in the morning. So if you ever get an email from me at 2.30 or 3 in the morning, send it back and say, go to bed, you moron. Quit sending me stuff in the middle of the night, all right? Go to sleep like normal people. And so what is Paul doing? He's resting. He's in the midst of all this ministry stuff. And it just, again, I know I'm reading a little bit in between the white space there, but I don't think we're too far off that it says that one night God spoke to him in a vision. And what God said to him maybe gives us a little insight to what was going on with Paul at this point. So what does he say? He said, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Verse 10, he says, for I am with you, and no one will attack you, attack, attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And this morning, I just want to kind of bounce off of that and notice with me a few things, three things to be exact, of, of things that God said in verse 10 specifically that I found to be a tremendous encouragement to me, and I believe it was an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. This is something God gave Paul he gave him what I would call a now word. You know what a now word is? It, it wasn't that Paul, here's a theological understanding of my work of redemption through the history of Israel type of dream. It wasn't that kind of dream. 
It was God speaking into his life something very specific, intervening in a specific moment and situation, and God essentially saying, here's a word for you, take hold of it, and keep going. I need that. Do you need that? I don't need just hand me a theology book, and I'm not downplaying theology or in any way, but I don't need more information. You know what I need? I need impartation. Do you know the difference? You know the difference? A lot of Christians wonder why their lives are frustrating because they have a lot of information. You've got notebooks. You've been to more Bible studies. You've got notebooks about notebooks. I mean, you've got series and teachings, and you know so much, and you think, why do I feel so dry? Why do I feel so empty? Well, you probably were getting good information. You were getting good Bible teaching. But we don't need just information up here. We need the impartation of God's Word into our life that is, I, I talked about like that manna that's like food. That's food for our soul that gives us a word. Paul, it was a vision. And sometimes we're like, oh, visions, you know, that's, we're going to get weird here. But I don't know about you, but there's times that I've had dreams that I believe God has, has given me insight in a dream. It hasn't happened a lot. Maybe I had too much Papa John's the night before. I don't know. But, but usually it was something that if I remember it, it was something like, you know, something may be there. There's something, now again, I'm not going to become a prophet and start a church and a cult or anything like that. But don't, don't negate the fact that, that God does, if I could use this term, God does speak to us right? Why pray if you're not desiring an answer? If you're just using the Bible as kind of a big phone book looking for for some information, but there is a a place where God imparts his will into our life. He never does it separate from scripture, right? He always does it consistent with the word of God. When we're seeking God for an answer, I believe that, you know, when we're struggling and with a decision or struggling with anxiety over an issue or whatever, God knows that. He knows us. He made us. He created us. He knows how to, how to speak into our lives. Maybe he spoke to Paul in a vision because he couldn't get Paul's attention during the daytime because he was so busy. And here God imparts to him this word of encouragement, and I believe it's a word of encouragement for us. Three promises that I want you to notice with me in verse uh, 9 or verse 10 specifically. Notice with me, first of all, that God speaks in a promise about the security, the security of God's presence. Verse 10, he says, for I am with you. Pretty good promise, right? That's the security. Paul, I am with you. My presence is with you. Do you remember when Moses was balking at going to Pharaoh? Right? And he's going all this back and forth. But God's best promise he gave to Moses was, I'll be with you. You're not going to go at it alone. He told Joshua the same thing. He told after Moses died in Joshua 1, he tells Joshua, who inherited the leadership mantle off of Moses, and he tells Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you as well. God's presence that is with us, the security of knowing that God is with us. That's an amazing thing. Of all the things that Jesus said right before he left, what was his final words? Yeah, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he also said, I am with you always to the end of the earth. What was he doing? He was promising his continual abiding 
presence that is with us. There's a, a, you know, Jacob. Remember Jacob? That when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord that many people believe was a pre-incarnate personage of Jesus. We call that a theophany. That there was this, this wrestling. And remember that angel of the Lord slapped him alongside the hip and his leg got out of joint. And the rest of his life he walked with a limp, right? But instead of that being a limp of despair and defeat, it was a limp where he basically said, that's where I met God there at Bethel. You know, I met God there. And, the, and then he, he makes this statement. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, God was with me and I didn't even know it. That's an amazing thought. When you look at your life, I think Joseph had that kind of thought. When he was right before his brothers that had sold him into slavery and contemplated murdering him, and now he's got him in the crosshairs where he wants them, right? Now it's time to nuke these, well, I won't say it because we're in church, but you know what we're talking about, right? What does he do? The Bible says that he told everybody to leave the room, leave leave the palace area where they were eating, and it said that Joseph's cry could be heard throughout the palace. This wasn't some little, you know, you guys hurt my feelings and I'm really offended. This was a breaking moment that came back in full throttle in that, in that moment. And Joseph had a choice to either take matters into his own hand and lash out at them, but he says something really amazing. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What was he saying? As I look back at my life, and I see how you sold me into slavery, and I was falsely accused, and all this terrible stuff in my life, I realize that all on that journey, God was with me, and he never left me, nor forsook me. You may look at your life, and you say, yeah, some really bad stuff happened. Experienced some real heartache, tragedy. And yet God's presence never left me, never abandoned me. That's what Paul is hearing a word of encouragement from God. God is saying, Paul, I know you're down, but remember, I am with you. There's a security of knowing that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wonderful promise. You see, by being born again, we have God's presence in our life. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So when we become believers, we have the presence of God into our life. But I, but I think this is that, but I think it's also something different and more, if I could maybe not use the word more, but it's a little different. The presence of God that, that God is referring to and encouraging Paul and encouraging us is, is a presence, not just the indwelling truth that we have as believers, but it's the overshadowing and the favor and blessing that Paul and we have when we are walking and fulfilling and obeying God in His will. It's, it's God as if God is saying, you know, when somebody says, hey, don't worry about it, I got your back. What are they saying? saying, hey, no matter what comes at you, who comes out, whatever, I've got your back. I'm going to protect you. You're not going to be alone. That's kind of like God saying, Paul, I've got your back. It's okay. I know you got a lot of opposition. 
I know you got a lot of turmoil. I know you got a lot of you know people that are that are coming against you. I know there's a lot of things that you're you're worried about. But Paul, I've got your back. I've got your back. I'm with you. I won't abandon you. And we can take the security of God's presence and be reminded. Do you think Paul didn't know that God was with him? I think he knew that. But do you think it's okay just sometimes to hear it every once in a while? Well, my wife knows I love her. I don't ever say it. She knows I love her. Well, listen, you don't have to go to the five love languages to figure that that's not a good strategy, right? You just want to hear it. You just want to hear, hey, what do they call them, attaboys? How many of you get an attaboy at work? You know what that is? When you just hear, good job. You just want to hear it. You just want to, you just want to hear it ring through your ears. You know it. But sometimes, again, God takes us aside and reminds us that he's with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to abandon us. Notice, secondly, the promise that God gives Paul in this night vision is the safety of God's protection. Not only does he say, I am with you, but notice he says, and no one will attack you or harm you. That's the safety of God's protection. The safety of God's protection. No one will attack you or harm you. Well, if you keep reading, and if you have your Bibles open, you keep reading. We won't read it for time's sake. But if you look through verse 12 through 17, the very next thing that Paul experiences when he wakes up, maybe the next morning, is he goes into conflict. In fact, the Bible says that there are, in verse 18 of 18, that or actually uh, verse uh, 12, he says, but when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before this tribunal. But, well, then God didn't keep his promise. I mean, the very next thing that, that happens in Paul's life is he goes into, the, he's being attacked, and it says a united attack. This is a consorted effort to take Paul out. But if you keep reading, here's the, here's the truth of the promise. The truth of the promise is, is that nothing happened to Paul. In fact, if you read it, the whole thing kind of imploded on them because this guy who they had brought and made these accusations against Paul, he just kind of dismissed them and told them to get out. He wasn't going to prosecute Paul. The whole thing just kind of imploded. In fact, it must have been so secure, if you read in verse 18, Paul stayed a few days longer. He just said, look, I'm going to leave when God tells me to leave. Because as long as I'm here, as long as I'm in the will of God and the purposes of God, guess what? I'm invincible. Do you believe that? When you're in the will of God and the purposes of God, man, you can attack hell with a, with a water pistol, right? Because God is with you. And God is giving you the, the promise of his protection. When God protects you, man, that's better than ADT or ring or whatever. God's protection gives us the security and the safety of knowing that God is with us and he's overseeing our life. He says, no one will attack you. Now, we may not be consumed with fear of being personally attacked, physically attacked, but sometimes the fear that we struggle sometimes with and the anxiety and feeling the attack is, is maybe a little more subtle. It's the attack of failure, defeat, maybe financial hardship, loss of 
friends, family, uh, disloyalty, a betrayal of a friend or a spouse, that tossing and turning at night. There's been times in which in that moment in the night where there's that feeling of vulnerability, you begin to worry in excess to reality. How many of you are really good at worrying about things that never come to pass? Anybody want to join me here and be confessional? All right, there's a few of us. We just, we just can worry and create ourselves. My wife knows that I'm really good at that, you know, because it's just like I figure if I just take it to the 10th degree that if it doesn't happen, then I'm okay. You know, I mean, you know, worst case scenario. We got our first electric bill in the new house. How many of you know that's always a fun experience every summer? How many of you know that you dread? And listen, I would be like, I'm in Arkansas, and, you know, I'm checking because they get the email bill, right, you know? And I'm like checking because I know that bill's going to be just crazy, crazy. And, you know, where, and, every, and see, the way in our new house, the way where the air conditioner unit is at, it's outside of our bedroom window. So every time it kicks on, you know what I hear? Ding. I, it's like a cab. You know, you ever been in a cab and just, that's what I hear. When I was laying in the hospital there putting those stents in, I, w- I wish I was thinking about, you know, heaven and the glories of God. I'm like, you know what I'm thinking about? How much is this going to cost? Have you ever read the Psalms and read what David writes? Here's one of multiple. Just take, You can just open it up and put your finger anywhere and find that David's struggling with the same thing. Look at the Psalm 61. Is it 61? Yeah, there we go. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I, will, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge. What's a refuge? That's a protective place. That's a... That's a, he says, you're a strong tower against the enemy. Again, your enemy, he's not talking about people. It could be a person who's after you or attacking you for some issue. But sometimes the enemies are just more of the things of life that are always pressing against us, the worries, the concerns. So we see God encourage Paul with the security of his presence, safety is prote- of, his, of God's protection. But last, thirdly, Notice the surety of God's providence. Notice what he says at the end of verse 10. Remember, what is Paul's assignment? He's preaching the gospel. He's, he's coming off of, and he's thinking, okay, you got Crispus and his family, and he's going through it, and maybe he's counting you know, people he needs to do follow-up with, and he's just like, man, we've put a lot of investment, a lot of money, and it just doesn't seem like I'm going to go back to Antioch and give a report to the, the believers there, because Antioch was kind of the way, was kind of the center of the church at this point in time that was reaching out into the ends of the earth, as Jesus told them to do in Acts 1, verse 8. And he's just thinking, I, you know, it doesn't seem like we're very successful. But what does God remind him? God gives him this promise by saying, for I have many in this city who are my people. I have many. God's saying that. That's directly connecting Paul and his mission. I have many. King James says, much people in this city who are mine. Now, that is one of those places in Scripture that just kind of pops out what we talk about when we talk about the doctrine of election. Election has to do with, in God's advanced knowledge, that God's choosing Sinners who have nothing in them themselves, God in His gracious providence chooses out of the mass of sinful humanity by His mercy and grace, chooses 
some unto salvation. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you don't agree with the Bible because that's what the Bible teaches. Look at, look at one of the most important passages that gives us insight into this in Ephesians 1. And it should be on the screen. This is from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he, God, wanted to do. And it gave God, gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace, because that's what it is. He has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. I use the word providence. Providence, uh, rather than getting all the, the Latin, it simply means to see beforehand. When we talk about God's providence, we're talking about God's providence that God sees in advance. Now, we, you know, churches and believers and theology, we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out a lot of those things. And when the day is done, here's the bottom line, is that God knows stuff in advance. I'm glad he does. I mean, what kind of comfort is there knowing that God is learning stuff the way we find out information? How's that comforting? So what is Paul being told by God? Paul, look, I'm with you. I've got your back. And besides, there's people in that city that are mine. Now, here's what God didn't do. Check your computer, Paul, because there's going to be an Excel spreadsheet with all the names of the elect and their addresses, and you just go to their house, and it'll save you a lot of time. In fact, if you don't get the email, just go into the city because you'll know the elect. They'll all have an E on their forehead, and you'll be able just to take the gospel in. No. God was working in advance, but what did God design that was necessary for them to come to saving faith? They needed to hear the gospel before they could believe the gospel. What was Paul's responsibility? To preach the gospel and leave the results to God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Now that to me, when you share Christ, there's a sense of knowing that God is working in people's lives whether you realize it or not. If you remember uh, the experience in God, Henry Blackaby, and I know that uh, there's something that was a big part that I remember in that, is that God is working all around us. God's not just dependent on what I'm doing or what one or two of you. God is working all around us. He's working in people's lives and activities. And when we get in on what God is doing, guess what? There's tremendous blessing and tremendous fruit. Now, how do we know who God is working in? In their lives, we don't say, now listen, I, are, you, are you part of God's elect? I just want to check because I don't want to share the gospel if you're not. That's stupid. That's crazy. You know what we do? We love them. We exemplify Jesus. Hey, what's your spiritual? I mean, do you have a, you have interest in spiritual things? Well, I used to go to church when I was little, and I've been kind of dabbling, reading the Bible again. Ding, 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 ding. What does that tell you? God's working in this person's life. Really? Well, what kind of Bible do you, do you understand what you're reading? Where are you reading? Oh, I'm reading in the book of Ezekiel. Oh, well, let me help you there. Let's. Why don't you read the book of Mark or the book of... 
what are you doing? You're, you're, you're having, building a relationship, developing conversation, and God is, is leading you to the many people he has in the city. You see, Paul's responsibility was to be faithful in sharing and preaching the gospel. God had already in advance been working. Now, here, here's the broad, let's, let's kind of put election aside, but here's the broader encouragement for us is just this truth is that God is always working ahead of us. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28 says? For we know that God works all things together for good to those that love, to, to, to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. That God is working in your job. He's working in your whatever issue, your health. That God is always ahead of what you are experiencing in real space and time. We're just kind of seeing life as it moves along. But God is working way in advance. God has purposes and plans in our life that have been ordained by Him before eternity. Before even the earth began, God had purposes and plans for us. Does He give it to us all at once? Of course not. It probably scared the daylight out of us. We just like fall down and say, I don't want to do this, right? Imagine how much easier it would be on Job if he kind of knew what went on behind the scenes and what was going to happen. Guess what? He didn't know any of that. He had to just walk this thing out. But when he walked it out, he saw that God, God was with him, and he didn't even realize it. Knowing that God is in my tomorrow is a tremendous encouragement to me. I was thinking about when I was younger and I was uh, living with my aunt and uncle and my uncle passed, was a pastor of a church and the church gave this large quilt that they had gotten together and different people had made and what they did was uh, everybody, maybe somewhere in your background you've done this or no, everybody kind of made a certain little square individually and so they brought it and they had this foundational kind of blanket and they sewed all the like what is that called a piece quilt or patch quilt something like that and so it had all these different little things that people did and eventually they sewed it all together and it was this big you know blanket of all these different things that people had made I remember one was real creative they had it was a little square and they had made this little pocket and had put on there, and it was a little zipper with a little pocket, and they put peanuts in there, and they said, for when you want to eat in bed. They had a little, I thought that was, uh, you know, you're, you're 13, and you think, that's pretty cool, Andy. You know, you, got, you don't have to go to the kitchen. You got food right there in your blanket, right? Now, when you flip that thing over, it was really, it was just a big mishmash of strings and, it wasn't anything very attractive. That's sometimes the way we see, that's the way our perspective is. We're looking at life, and we just see all this random stuff that has happened to us. But what does God see? He sees a mosaic of how all these pieces come together to form a beauty and a harmony that He sees. But right now, all we're seeing is just all these Random things. We're thinking, this thing is ugly. Talking about the blanket. Because we can't always see things the way God sees them. That's why we trust Him in knowing, and there is a surety that God not only knows what's ahead, but God has prepared my way and my path of what's ahead, and I can trust Him 
in knowing that he knows. Sometimes that's all you got to go on. And your perspective may still see the mishmash. And I think that's what Joseph caught a glimpse. I believe in that moment, God allowed maybe Joseph to flip that blanket over and see what he thought was all this tragedy. And it was real tragedy. He said, you, the hands, you know, you're a bunch of evil guys. I mean, he didn't let him off the hook. But God flipped that quilt over maybe in that moment, and he said that what man meant for evil, God was sewing together to use that picture for good. And if God calls it good, guess what? It's good. <laughs> right? That's a profound theological statement. If God calls it good, it's good. So what are we saying here? What's the word? Be faithful to the gospel, Paul. Stay in course. I'm with you. Stay on course. I've got your back. Stay the course. I have people here who need to be saved, will be saved when they hear you minister the message of the gospel. They will believe in my son. You just do what you're supposed to do. You just tell people about Jesus. And this morning, what do we take away from this for ourselves? I am secure. Why? Because I know. I am secure because I know that God is always with me. He will never leave me or abandon me. I have a security. You know, you know some of us grow up in the way our backgrounds are. We grow up and we're... we're we grow up somewhat insecure of life. Maybe because we were bounced around a little bit and growing up, or maybe our parents divorced, and we sometimes were in living situations that weren't real sure or temporary or whatever, and we, we grew up with a sense of insecurity. How many of you get what I'm talking about? You, know, you, just, you just have that insecurity. And so to say I'm secure, that's not just... It's saying that I'm, I have a security because I know... That God is always with me. I'll never be forsaken or abandoned. Secondly, I am safe. God is my ultimate safe place because I know that no matter what I face and all the crazy stuff I face, I don't need to fear because God's protection is always with me. No matter the best thing that somebody may come against me. Now, sometimes things are self-inflicted. Agreed? But there's some things that just the enemy uses through situations and people and circumstances to come against us. But I can know that I am safe and I don't need to be fearful because God's protection is always with me. And last, I can be sure, take it to the bank sure, that God is working all of my present circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, into something that is for my benefit, for my good, but ultimately, and more importantly, is for His glory. Something that God will take this mess of my life and one day when we cast that crown at His feet, it'll just be to the glory of God that my life is a trophy of God's marvelous sovereign grace. Amen? And that should encourage us. And that's what Paul, that was a word that, man, he could hold on to. Gave it to him in the night. Gave it to him when he was restless, tossing and turning. And God says, I'm with you. I'm protecting you. And you know what? I was in Corinth, Paul, long before you were in Corinth. And I've got, my, I've got people there. And they just need to hear the gospel so we can connect my sovereign choice with their conversion together. And then I have my people that are waiting for you. Let's stand Oh, now, don't stand. We're going we're gonna to pray and do something real quick at the end here.